That's right. Welcome back to another episode of Who the Hell is This For? Today, we are getting back to our own picks of movies, and we are going to review the Tom Cruise classic, Mission Impossible. Oh, wait, that's wrong movie. Yeah. You're getting into the Kill Bill thing there. Alright, so yes, we are reviewing Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible. Before we get into that, once again, want to plug, uh, support any organizations for trans, LB- LGBT, uh, black, Asian, Hispanic, uh, First Nations, any population that does not benefit from white privilege or, you know, just the horrible society that we live in that continues to prop things up, donate to organizations, support those groups, and if you do and send us your receipt, you will also be able to pick a movie for us to review. With that said, let's get into what we have been watching this week. Who wants to go first? Jeff, go ahead. Or past two weeks, really. So I watched Mission Impossible. Um, I also watched Mission Impossible 2, um, which I will talk about later. Um, And then, what else did I watch this week? Oh, I've been watching a new show. Uh, I'm watching Black Monday on Showtime. Have you heard of that one? I... I have heard the name like one time, I think. So it's um it's like Don Cheadle and Paul Shear and Andrew Reynolds. Um, and it's basically like Wolf of Wall Street, except Don Cheadle is running like a hedge fund. Which uh, one is Andrew Reynolds? Uh, Andrew Reynolds. Is that the one that does the glue or the one that looks like a bird? Wait a minute, Charlie's not a Reynolds. I don't know. Re- Reynolds, R-E-N-N-E-L-S. Yeah, Reynolds. Reynolds. R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S. Yeah, I bet if you saw a picture of Andrew Reynolds, you would know exactly who I'm talking Isn't about. Isn't that a skateboarder? <laughs> I believe Andrew You're Reynolds thinking about is Burnquist. the guy you pick on Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. The one who did the 900? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Andrew Reynolds was in like Book of Mormon, like the he was like the main stage guy for Book of Mormon. Oh, uh, the kid in that, uh, or the grown man playing a high schooler in that Dear Evan Hansen movie. <laughs> Every time I see that guy's picture on Twitter, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> oh man, it's... um, yeah. Anyways, it's 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 pretty good. Um, that's on Showtime. I've been trying to use up my Showtime, like, uh, trial and stuff to get through stuff before it goes away. <clears throat> um, but that's that's basically all I've been watching besides basketball. Riley, how about you? Uh, let's see. Actual, uh, you know, entertainment stuff. I we pretty much we watched Loki. Uh, we watched oh, yeah. the first two episodes of that. It's really oh. good. Uh, Hiddleston and Wilson, awesome together. Um, I agree. They have good chemistry. Hopefully he's around. Hopefully Owen Wilson sticks around because I really enjoy his role. 
Um, other so than that, a question about that. I've seen the interview, like the behind the scenes stuff with him floating around. Is it true that he just like showed up to that interview dressed like a cowboy? Oh, yes. Is it? I, I, I'll roll with that. Yeah, he's wearing like a bandana and a cowboy hat, and it has nothing to do with his character at all. It's He's not a cowboy <laughs> in the show. Have you watched it, Jeff? Yeah, I watched the first episode. I didn't watch today's. What did you think of the first one? I think it's pretty good. I, I am trying to reserve judgment on Marvel shows until I get through a couple of episodes. Because mm-hmm. I really liked what WandaVision did at the beginning, and I think they kind of like didn't didn't super stick the landing i think loki has a better open-ended you could kind of do anything sort of thing right with the whole yeah infinite timeline thing you're right so i think there's i think there might be more room to play around with that one and it doesn't maybe feel like they kind of have to land in a certain direction so i'm hopeful i also think the people involved may be better at making tv than could be the yeah guy from wandavision um but Anyway, yeah, then watched uh, a lot of hockey, um, a lot of bat. Well, not really, not a lot of basketball. I caught a lot of ends of basketball games, um, and I think that's about it. I have one more that I saw. Ty, I think you saw it. Rather, I'm not sure about you. I didn't want to did bring you, it up. Did you guys see the new Conjuring? Oh yeah, yeah. You want to talk about the new Conjuring? <laughs> uh, let's let's do it. Um, not very good. My thoughts: it stinks. Dear readers, it blows. Um, it yeah, just... it just wasn't very. It wasn't very creative. Well, I take that. I mean, I don't know if it wasn't very creative. It just. It didn't feel like they did anything different than they did in the first two, but they didn't do it any better. You know what I mean? Well, like, I thought, so I thought the first like 30 to 40 minutes, you, we have a couple of really great scenes that are fun and mean and, you know, not your typical horror, or at least not typical for the Conjuring franchise. I mean, to the opening is obviously an homage to uh, The Exorcist, but then they really go for it with mm-hmm. some of the stuff they do there uh, that got me bought in on that homage and then i really loved the i mean the scene that was just basically an argento homage Mm -hmm. and maybe you know that's an indictment of the movie that the things it did well were just homages to other directors yeah but then after that as soon as you get out of that 40 minutes it just becomes so boring I think this is the first Conjuring movie that really felt like IP to me. Does that make sense? Yes. Where it's yes. kind of like we should do a third Conjuring movie because this universe and specifically like this series within this universe is incredibly popular. And it just kind of felt like <clears throat> they're going through the motions. It also was not directed by James Wan, right? Mm-hmm. And so and his like absence was felt. Yes. Absolutely. It just it felt like all of the pieces of the first two with none of the stuff that made those great and or not enough threads to pull those things through. It did feel a little bit like um, like sometimes like an Avengers movie where you can kind of just tell like we're just kind of moving from set piece to set piece. 
there's mm-hmm. not really enough like care given to the stuff that you know kind of brings it together and that's what this one felt like to me was it just it just felt like we were moving from set piece to set piece and the stuff that was together was like i'm supposed to care about the warrens like i don't know you know what i mean like it just yeah it didn't do enough for me to make and the this parts isn't even fun. a yeah this isn't even a oh yeah did you know the warrens were terrible people in real life thing like it's not even that it's that the the characters the warrens who i am treating as fictional people at this point right it's they lost any of the charm that they had in the first two movies yes i don't know where it went yeah i i don't i don't know i don't know what they did wrong i can't articulate it completely but yeah this one was uh probably a three and a half or a four out of ten for me yeah, I think I was, I might have been at a five just because I really liked a couple of those set pieces a lot. Yeah. yeah. Oh. All right, so what I have been watching over the past two weeks, uh, first and foremost, the horror show that is the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're winning. Got them on right now. Uh, yeah, they're winning, but for how long? Like, how long can Giannis just brute force his way towards the basket and just throw it up and hope it goes in? Uh, Apparently, like, five years. Yeah. Giannis has an expiration date. Uh, But also, I watched Black Rain, a movie I did not know existed, a movie I now love deeply, and am going to become a very vocal champion of this movie. I don't know. I, I discovered it. I don't know if I knew much about I, that one. Yeah, no, I discovered it while scrolling through HBO Max uh, with a poster of Michael Douglas just standing in front of a motorcycle smoking a cigarette uh, in like a neon lit uh, alley. Michael and Douglas. Then I read the, yes. <laughs> I read the direction, or direction. Yes, I read the directions. I made this movie. No, uh, I. <laughs> God. Uh, Bucks just turned over the ball. Lots happening right now. Anyway, I read the synopsis. Uh, he, it's a neo-noir where the, where a dirty cop gets embroiled in the, uh, the Japanese underbelly with the Yakuza. And then I saw it's directed by Ridley Scott. So, uh, was fully on board, watched it. It's wild. It's very tense. It had me, like, fully bought in, even though, like, Michael Douglas is chewing the hell out of the scenery. Um, Andy Garcia is his uh, partner, and is not his partner, but, like, a friend that he works the same case with, and he's, like, a young, hopeful, like, idealist guy who wants to become police chief or sergeant or something. I think he's going for sergeant because he's, like, one of the good guys and wants to, you know do good and uh michael douglas is like yeah that's never gonna happen i've seen the corruption and rot in this system (laughs) and um it plays with that and goes from there and it's just like full-on like hard-boiled yakuza noir and it it feels obviously like very stylistically similar to blade runner but just set in actually in the 80s instead of in the future and it's so fun. <clears throat> I gonna, love that movie. I'm going to have to put that on my list. It looks like fun. Yeah. 
I it's a movie I cannot recommend enough to a very specific group of people. Like a lot of people I don't think would be like, okay, like this is fine. But then there's like a subset of people that I could be like, hey, watch this movie. And they would just love it. So it's like us two and like five other people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most of whom listen to the podcast. <laughs> All right. So... With that taken care of, let's get into Mission Impossible. When U.S. government operative Ethan Hunt and his mentor Jim Phelps go on a covert assignment that takes a disastrous turn, Jim is killed and Ethan becomes the prime murder suspect. Now a fugitive, Hunt recruits a brilliant hacker, Luther Stickle, and Maverick pilot, Franz Krieger, to help him sneak into a heavily guarded CIA building to retrieve a confidential computer file that will prove his innocence. Directed by Brian De Palma... Uh, starring Tom Cruise, Paula Wagner, John Voight, Henry Zerny, Ving Rhames, Chris and Scott Thomas, John Reno, um, Emilio Estevez. Just a whole cast of characters here. Emilio! <clears throat> Emilio! Okay, so let's look at some rotten reviews. One, the most dour, sexless piece of escapism in memory. Sexless? Yeah. <laughs> Did you not watch the same movie? Like, sure, nobody, like, has sex in this movie, but it's directed by De Palma, so it's just there it the is, entire time. This is the most erotic movie that doesn't have sex in it I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> that was like, uh, did you see the Twitter meme floating around that had a bunch of, you know, like, legacy directors on there? That's um, like every friend group has one. The Italian, the jokester. It was like Scorsese, somebody else, um, and then like one was the pervert, and it was on De Palma. <laughs> and somebody was like, "I don't think that's very fair to De Palma." <laughs> and they're like, "Have you seen like Any? how much De Palma have you watched? <laughs> have you only seen Die Hard?" <laughs> Which is still horny as hell too. <laughs> And then the set pieces of this film come off like clockwork, but there's no connective tissue, no storyline, no solid characterization. In the end, De Palma's work seems full of sound and visual fury without signifying much of anything. Does it have to? Like, I feel like we've gotten... One, I think it does do a lot of those things. But two, I, I feel like people have just gotten away from the idea of a movie just doing style for style's sake. Yeah, I think, I mean, with the advent of everyone's a critic, and especially, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, social media, and I love Letterboxd, but, you know, even to an extent, Letterboxd, like, it kind of just feels like everyone wants to dunk on famous directors mm -hmm. all the time, and there's there's room for that, but it's also just, like, I don't know, man, like, if you don't if you don't dig the vibe of this movie, like I don't know what to do for you. Just don't watch it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, and that's like so much of like <clears throat> movie discourse. Like so much of it is just people dunking on stuff, which I know I have been very guilty of in the past. But like recently, I've I mean, really over the past year and then the past few months, really, I like I'll occasionally still dunk on something or talk about, like, why I don't like something, but I always, like, fully acknowledge most times this just isn't for me. And two, like, like that's the whole point of this podcast. Like, this, every movie is going to have an audience. Mm -hmm. but, but, like, 
it's so much more fun to just like movies. After, Nobody after hates you guys just movies. dumped on Conjuring yeah. three. Yeah, notwithstanding Conjuring, we were talking. Hold on, we were talking about issues with the movie, and I still talked about things I liked about it. And it just—it was a movie that would have been far better hand in far better hands of James Wan, because I'm I just, love. Conjuring I'm just saying, 1 and your 2. opening line was this movie stinks. <laughs> it did stink. <laughs> well, there you go. But also. You can like movies that stink. We contain multitudes, Riley. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Turd, described it that exact way. He said, it's a dumb, bad movie that I really like. <laughs> and, like, you can say movies are bad. You can say movies have problems. But, like, also, you have to acknowledge at some point that it just doesn't work for you. Yeah. Right. And, I mean... That's what I think my issue with Conjuring 3 is. But I know, yes, I am for sure guilty of it. And mostly because I I like to... My rating scale really is just either stinks or rules. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a binary scale. scale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stinks or rules. Movies that stink, I can still like. But if a movie rules, there's no chance I don't like it. <laughs> let's get back to fun stuff. Let's get back, yeah. to, let's get back to De Palma. Are we so, done with Are we done with rotten reviews or We are done with rotten reviews. I just wanted to do those two cuz I feel like they highlight the most like just the we like the weirdest possible takes to have on this movie. Right. And Jeff, so you are a big Mission Impossible fan. Yes. Give us a little bit of, you know, what the mission give us the Mission Impossible <clears throat> franchise. Give us what this movie was and what it became and you know the context the cultural context of mission impossible sure so obviously mission impossible came out in the mid 90s it's 1996 uh de palma uh has obviously done like stuff kind of in this vein but nothing like quite like this so you probably know de palma from scarface the untouchables carrie carlito's way um He's got some other stuff that's that's well-known, but maybe not as critically acclaimed, like Blowout, Snake Eyes, Raising Cane, which is obs- which is insane, by the way. Have you guys ever seen Raising Cane? No. I have not. And I have not seen Blowout either, which is like at the top of my watch list. Uh, John Lithgow is in Raising Cane, and he's like a, like a psychotic child psychologist who's like, I don't know, doing crazy shit. Um, the, go look up the, go look up the poster and it's just John Lithgow with like a two face thing where they do like a negative of the right side of his face. And that just tells you everything you see with him. Anyways, Mission Impossible overall writ large is, um, you know, starts with De Palma in 1996, goes through, um, a pretty big transformation with John Woo doing Mission Impossible 2. They're like nothing alike. Like there's a there's a there's I've, some... I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of problems people have with Mission Impossible 2. So, I have a soft spot for Mission Impossible 2 just because I watched it like I watched it a lot when I was young, like and it's it's the perfect movie for a 13-year-old. Um, okay. It's just like the perfect action movie for a 13. There's lots of like really over dramatic slow motion dove well, shots and that's when they like really like introduce like you know car chases and motorcycles and right yeah right 
Yeah, and and two is where um, probably where Tom Cruise starts to get his reputation for doing like crazy batshit stunts on his own, and that kind of sets up what the future of sort of the franchise of Mission Impossible Two is. Like he goes and he does freehand climbing on cliffs and like he actually is like he's got a net below him but like he doesn't have ropes on him when he's doing it so like he actually is doing free climbing Mm -hmm. on these like mountains and shit so and i i was aware obviously the only mission impossible movie i've seen is um only mission impossible movie i've seen is fallout yeah and i was aware of sorry i their nets fans just harassing Giannis while he's taking forever to do his three free throws. (laughs) It's very distracting to me (laughs) personally. I am also taking free throws, Uh, but so Tom Cruise, mission possible stunts. Yeah. So I, I had had that. I was aware of that reputation. So watching this one, I was like on the lookout for it. Like, is he doing it? Is he doing it? But you know, I couldn't really catch it or not anything really that impressive. So it makes sense that it really becomes a thing in two onward. Right. And I mean, he does, he does his own stunts in terms of like, he's still the person doing like the famous scene where they're like coming down and he's like doing acrobats and shit. And anyways, but like, yeah, you're totally right. Two is where they kind of set the standard for what the, the film series is going to be like what their ambition is for. And then Three is when they kind of set the the modern um, blueprint for what like the rest mm-hmm. of the Mission Impossible movies are going to be. And um, knowing that that's J.J. Abrams, that makes sense. Right. Abrams has a lot of issues, but style is not one of them. And I would argue, I mean, I know people have lots of opinions about J.J., Obviously, he's been involved in tons of different styles of IP. I, and so, I, I should say, J.J. has a lot of things I really like. Right. I will say, personally, I think if you take out like like small screen stuff like Lost, I kind of think J.J. is best suited for something like Mission Impossible, where it's like everybody knows what it is. There's like a you know a certain amount of cheese that just exists because of what the movie is and what it's trying to do. It's big. It's loud. No one's like it's the you know it's not a it's it's not a niche art movie. It's like, a it just Michael is Bay. what it is. Yeah, like yeah. like JJ is suited for exactly what Mission Impossible is trying mm-hmm. to do, and so that I actually think is a very good pairing. Um, obviously, I would love a million De Palma versions of Mission Impossible, but if you can't yeah. have De Palma, I'm happy with them doing J.J. Well, I feel like J.J. is the perfect guy to direct a movie, and I know this was far before. When did uh, Mission Impossible 3 come out? I can find out. I don't know. So, even if Mission Impossible 3 came out prior to all of this, I still think J.J. Abrams, for better or worse, for what the film landscape has become due to, like, the marvelization of everything. J.J. Abrams is the perfect guy to direct a blockbuster that is slick and clean and looks like an MCU movie because now that's what is desired by most of the movie-going audience. So slight clarification. So Mission Impossible 3 came out in 2006. J.J. directs that one. But then for Mm -hmm. the next four, or for the the next three, so Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout... He's a producer. 
so he actually doesn't direct the next three, but he is mm-hmm. heavily involved. There I mean, was... he establishes a style in three and then gets people to adhere right. to it later. Right. And Christopher McQuarrie um, has done, did Rogue Nation and Fallout, which I would argue are like the best of the modern ones. So Fallout, yeah. I think, is definitely the best one. But then Rogue Nation is also like very good mm-hmm. and very compelling. So I think they've gotten like, I think they've really got the best combo of everything going forward. Is Christopher McQuarrie is the screenwriter and the director. Tom Cruise, J.J. Abrams are producers, and they've got their blueprint and they know what they're doing and they're just nailing it. So I have high hopes for Seven, which is filming right now, and then there's they're making oh, an yeah. eighth, they're making an eighth one, which is in pre-production. So Seven's I mean, been McQuarrie done. McQuarrie is it? the I think Seven's I, still filming, I think. Mm-hmm. They, they got had, delayed by they COVID. They had COVID shit. That was the whole thing with Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. Like, losing it on people who weren't following protocols. And then, months later, after all that, even after vaccines have started rolling out, somebody still tested positive and they had to shut down filming. Yeah, I think you lost his shit on that one again, too. Yeah. Um, so, I know we've, we've lost the thread a little bit. We're just kind of talking about Mission Impossible. Yeah, let's pull it large. back together. What do we like about this specific Mission Impossible? Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible. Okay, so I'm gonna go first if that's okay, since this was yeah, this is this your was movie. my this was my pick for the podcast. Um, so here's what I think this movie does perfectly. I think in terms of the modern thriller, I think Fallout is fantastic, and the the most recent Mission Impossible Fallout is the culmination of a lot of stuff. But Mission Impossible, the first one, could easily have spawned like a million different styles of this franchise because it does so many things so well. And one of the things that I think it does really, really well is it's like, it's not just an action movie. Um, It's not just a thriller. There's also like a fucking heist in it. There's like, um like betrayal stuff going on so you have like double crosses and things like that going on as well there's so many different pockets of elements that this movie does and it's not one thing and all of the stuff that it tries to do i personally think it nails there's there's maybe some things in the next section that we can talk about that people might not like i like them but there's things that mm-hmm. i think people could say but i i still think that this is for my money one of the best thrillers of the 90s, which is kind of saying a lot because the 90s were, like, very thriller-heavy. That was Um, the era of the thriller. Right, right. So I think it does a lot of things. I think it checks a lot of boxes. I think if you're looking for something with a lot of suspense and you're looking for something with a lot of action, and there's even, like, there's even humor in it, which you didn't get a lot with, like, Mm -hmm. 90s thrillers. Like, you would either get something very dark and serious with suspense, or you would get, Mm -hmm. like, Beverly Hills Cop. And I'm not saying that this movie is that funny, but there's like elements within it that like play really well. Um, mm-hmm. That just make well, it feel and very. People unique. actively make jokes, right? And they don't feel out of place, even though it is a very tense, like just packed with everything in this movie, and they're just still cracking jokes at each other. Right. And then they kill the then they kill their best jokester in an elevator shaft. They do. 
I still think his line of when he's got the the red light, green light gum, and he says, Asa lasagna, don't get any on ya. Like, I still, I say that all the fucking time. Like, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> it it's shouldn't apply to anything. 90s. <laughs> it's, it's the, like, peak of a 90s, like, quip. Right. And it should be cheesy, and I think to some people maybe it could be, but, like, I still think it works. Like, this whole movie, like, flows really well where it, it doesn't dive too deep into any one particular thing. Yeah. Uh, something I really liked, having only seen Fallout made this a very interesting experience. There are a lot of parallels here to the point that the opening scene... So the opening scene of this movie where we are thrown right into it with the interrogation and Ethan pulling off the rubber mask uh, that, you know, in Fallout, there are so many parallels with the Wolf Blitzer scene. And it's it's so it shows how much respect McQuarrie has for this franchise by him making that parallel, because that obviously that's set up here. And that scene alone sets the entire tone for just the weirdness of the IMF. You, if you like the mask stuff, you might really like too, because there is like a a fuck ton of mask <laughs> stuff in two. Hell yeah! I also think I know this. I know we're talking about one, but the other reason I think you'll really like two is it's it's way too cheesy in a way that I think you can, like, it cycles back around to being good, right? Like, it's like, it should be serious, and then it goes way too cheesy, but it goes so far into being cheesy that it comes all the way back around to be like, this is just a masterclass in a cheesy action movie where it's trying <laughs> too hard. Um, there's a... Man, I just want to talk about two now. There's a whole, <laughs> There's a whole element where they use, like, greek mythology and talk about like chimeras and shit and there's like a russian or german scientist who says chimera like the whole fucking movie um and it's oh, good man. for it's good for just that element like two, you're selling me on this movie hard two sound seems more like a 90s movie than one does like if I, if they were switched around i wouldn't have been surprised anyways yeah. So, Watch number what do two. we continue it's... to like about Mission Impossible One? <laughs> so, I I'll go ahead and go. I I think first and foremost, there is so much style in this movie, like to the point of like Michael Mann doing Manhunter levels of style for style's sake, and I didn't expect that going in. There's Just a... because this became a franchise, right. you don't expect that in mm-hmm. your franchise. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Dutch angles in this one, mm-hmm. like Dutch lot, angles. Wow, yeah. tight, tight close-ups. Yeah, a lot of colored lighting, split diopter shots. There's so much happening, and it's all like distinctly like stylistic and a choice by De Palma. It's so. It, and I love that out of my movies. There's um, even like when they're on the mission where everything goes wrong. They're in. Is it? Um, I don't. What city are they in? Like, oh, yeah, I don't. Prague. They're in Prague. 
They're no. in Prague, I think. No? I think... Is it Prague or is it... Kiev? Kiev. It's I think those, it might have been Kiev. It's one of those Eastern European cities. But that that whole sequence, especially when things start going wrong and people start dying and they like have to like chase each other in the fog and like the mm-hmm. the music and the shots and like all the fake blood and shit like that like that is i'm not saying it's argento but like there is some like you know what i mean there is some there's like, italian influence yes. there mm-hmm. and i think de palma that is no surprise right i i also think cuz I, so I haven't seen Blowout, but frequently I feel like I hear there is a lot of Italian cinema influence in Blowout as well. I've only seen the first half of Blowout. Um, oh. I was watching it one day and then um, had to leave and go do something else, so I haven't like revisited it. Um, God, but it Budenholzer is... looks like Alex Jones. This is a podcast also brought to you during the Bucks game where we're just going to be commenting yeah. randomly. Um, Sorry, continue. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's just, there's so many different pockets of influence and, and different things to do in. Um, I have some stuff on, like, the acting that we could go through. But, Riley, I'm curious, are there any other, like, big major things that you really like about this one? Um... Well, I mean, I like or, the movie. I'm just trying to think of, like, specific things that haven't been said. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I think you guys took the good bits um, <laughs> that I probably wouldn't have brought up anyway. So I don't know if I have anything specific for what it did well. What do you think about uh, Ving Rhames in this movie? Love Ving Rhames in this movie. <laughs> I love Ving Rhames in any movie, though, so... I love Ving Rhames in the Arby's commercials, so. <laughs> his his introduction is fantastic. And yeah. also, like, knowing who Luther is in Fallout, I did not expect him to be introduced as this genius hacker. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an interesting... Like, Luther in Fallout, by that point, he's just like... I'm the guy that drives a car. I'm the guy that drives the boat. Like I'm, I'm the wheel man. Yeah. His, his, um, arc is really interesting throughout the whole series because, um, originally they had him kind of playing comic relief a little bit mm-hmm. to Tom mm-hmm. Cruise. And then I think in, in three or four, they bring in, um, Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg. Yeah who now is the comic relief. And so then Ving Rhames, doesn't, he doesn't get lost, but he does something different. And so in this one, I think it's interesting that they talk about like him being like such a computer genius, especially when they start talking about um, like he was the only one to like break into like the NATO like yeah. satellite stuff. And he's mm-hmm. like allegedly that beautiful piece of work like <laughs> yes it's oh he's so charismatic there's some fucking I style in this character that goes into everybody every character in this movie is so big yeah there are no bit parts and if there is a bit part the bit parts still like they take over your screen when they're there 
and everybody feels like their own really weird dynamic big character even estevez who's hardly in the movie boy yeah, yeah i saw this and i'm like i figured he was gonna die it's just i was that disappointed to see that estevez was part of the mission impossible family at one point and like oh, i can't believe we killed him off yeah. but then again I it's, think it's it's the 2020s so no character is truly dead yeah <laughs> it would be really that funny Emilio if there's Estevez like comes back he's actually been behind like the whole thing every single like he's been behind the syndicate the whole time oh my gosh he's uh um, what's the what's the british dude's name the little weasley guy I know who you're talking about, but I, oh, I forget from the his new name. one. The, the, the most... previous, he used to be one of their allies. Like he was an IMF guy, and now he's a villain. The guy from uh, not Henry and... Cavill's character. No, 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 no. The, the no. guy. So he was the main villain in five, and then he like comes back as a like a back for his revenge in Fallout. He's oh, the guy yeah, who yeah, keeps yeah. saying, you should have killed me, Ethan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. He's got, like, the real raspy British voice. Or well, Anyway, I mean, that yeah. guy. And then finish your point. <laughs> oh, I forgot what it was. <laughs> we we took so long on that that I forgot what I was going to say about him. <laughs> this is like old people when they're like, what was that guy's name? And they're like, he was tall. How tall do you think he and was? And then the movie's over. <laughs> Um, the other role that I want to talk about in this one is, um, John Voight. Um, yeah. Um, not a big fan of John Voight the person, but that's okay. We can well, separate yeah. it. Well, yeah. Um, but I think he's really good in this one. Um, oh, and I, no. You don't like John no, Voight in this one? I don't think he fits in the movie. I don't, I don't think he fits with the crew at all. Oh, let's, okay, let's save John Voight. I think Voight. that's kind of a, yeah, yeah. We'll, let's save John Voight for we'll the next save one. save that. Did you say John Wick? No, John Voight. No, you said John Wick. Who are we, the record are we talking show. about? <laughs> Something I'm about that John guy. Wants. <laughs> Welcome to Who is the Hell it's is It's my this favorite for? movie, John. Episode 10,353. Welcome to Who the Hell Was That Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many head injuries. You have to give me some, like, give me some breathing room. <laughs> The year's 2071. IMDb and Letterbox have, have fallen apart. No one, no, no one knows what's in. No one knows who is in anything. <laughs> if man is still alive, this is what I'll pass on to my children after the world goes up in flames. Like I can just remember who actors were and what movies they were in. And they're John like, Voight was ha- in Mission Impossible. Sure he was, Grandpa. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't fucking help us. We have to get water credits. When Viggo Mortensen actually kicked the helmet, he broke his foot. (laughs) (laughs) Grandpa, we asked you if you wanted peas. (laughs) On the set of Jaws, Robert Shaw tried to get Richard Dreyfuss to jump off the mast. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Oh Doesn't I, that we shark could talk real? about? Sure, it does. 
we could talk about what we like about this movie forever because it you can go so esoteric with it because of what it is. One last thing I want to say is similar to Jaws and similar to Halloween, similar to anything with a very distinctive theme. Prior to watching the movie, I thought the theme was like especially like Jaws and Mission Impossible. Halloween avoided some of this, but Jaws and Mission Impossible are two themes that you hear in like car commercials, like radio commercials, all these things. And you're like, this is dumb and lame and whatever. Like you get so oversaturated with it through commercials, homages that are bad, complete rips of it that you're like, is this song going to work? And then in context, like the Jaws theme, like this Mission Impossible theme, like the way the Mission Impossible theme comes in for the first time in here is absolutely electric. Yeah. Yeah, the especially the trill at the beginning mm-hmm. before it gets into it uh-huh. is is fucking great. Yeah. So that's all I have as far as what I like about this movie. Just for the sake of moving on. Yeah. As far as what we didn't like Riley, I think you should start so, us off. With I want to preface you don't... this section and saying I scored this movie very well, but there were just like there were a couple things that I didn't like that I can talk about. Unlike the last section where I can just say it was good. Fair enough. Um, John Voight is the first one. I don't think he meshes well. I did not like his. I didn't think his acting was good. Um. And I just, I thought, I don't know. I just, I, I, he just wasn't believable for me in the role. Um, I, I guess I, you know, different strokes or whatever, but I did not see what the casting director saw in picking Ethan Hunt's mentor. I thought he was just kind of, I thought he was kind of a flat performance, uh, and to end it on a bit, he did not bring his anaconda accent with him in this movie, so <laughs> minus points there. Hell, even bring his holes accent. Right, I, well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like he went for it more in holes than he did in this movie. I, I, I will agree with I you. I think that... a lot of it comes to writing, though. Okay, well, okay, so then he's written bad. Yeah. I think which I get, is fair. Yeah. I get what you're saying, Riley, for sure. I do agree with you that everyone else in this movie is doing it bigger than John Voight is, including Tom Cruise. There are a couple times that Tom Cruise like will say something and you're like like when he's like they're dead. They're all dead. Like when he goes for that where he's like he's doing it big and John Voight never gets quite that big. So I agree with you that the temperature is off between the two of them. I think John Voight is a good pick for this because I've, I've never once liked a John Voight character, even if they're supposed to be the good guy. And so to that element, I, I know you liked him in National Treasure. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But the reason that I think he's good in this is because even though you think think in the beginning he's supposed to be a good guy which if you've seen it before obviously you don't but like even if you're like you know oh john Voigt is going to be part of the team 
Like, I just feel like John Voight's character in this, like, started out kind of slimy and kind of weird. And you, like, mm-hmm. weren't sure if you were, like, on his side. And so for that pretend, you know what I mean, where we know ahead of it being revealed that Ethan Hunt knows that he, like, was uh-huh. the betrayer. Like, I felt like it fit there where, like, I already didn't like him. Um, and so it fit. I don't really know that that's necessarily, like, a John Voight acting choice as much as, like, I just think the way he was communicating it, I was just like, oh, I don't like this person. But I do hear what you're saying about right. the tone of him, for sure. I I can agree with that. It worked perfectly fine for me, but I get where you're coming from. What were some of the other So the one the here? one other thing, I don't know if it did it wrong. Um I think I think when you get into kind of movies like this the technology obviously is going to date the movie. We're going the same direction yeah. here. Um like it took I mean it took how long it took probably five in movie minutes to download an Excel list. <laughs> oh, we're not going the same names. same direction. But, you know, just kinda like the whole thing, you know, I yeah, I, I think looking back, because I think it, it gets to a point like if you showed this to a 10 year old to be like, this was one of my favorite action movies growing up. They're going to be like, well, what the hell? What the hell is that? Or, yeah. yeah. What? Like, I will. I will agree with you. No, I don't like I don't say it's bad, you know, but it and that could that'll be the case in Fallout come, you know, 30 yeah. years from Fallout. But it when you choose to use all that. It, set, it it definitely locks you in to that time period. And I think the older you get, or the older the movie gets, the more glaring it becomes. Yep. I thought it was interesting <laughs> that <laughs> the file is just named Knocklist. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just they, on the computer. Like, they wouldn't encrypt it. They wouldn't, you know what I mean? They wouldn't put it in a hidden folder. They were just, just like, like, like meeting room. minutes, June 16th, Susie's, 1981. Susie's birthday party picks right next to the knock list. Yeah. Um, so something I had an issue with is, so I'm even willing to forgive something for bad CGI, because I mean I forgive that all the time. The movie is great. It does it takes away a bit, but not in the way that oh these effects are terrible. The whole bit with the helicopter. Yeah. It it's not even because of the effects. It's because it feels like such a cookie cutter like studio action movie, which this movie up until this point is none of that. So that was another problem I had. I think that was another point that stuck out stuck out for me was John Voight's character jumping from a train to a helicopter and I'm like even back then I'm like John Voight isn't doing that even in 1996. <laughs> like get that's like fair. yeah. That, that's why yeah, I feel like it just could have been casted better uh, to someone more I don't know what it's looking for but virile. Yeah, you know, put Put Tom Selleck in that role. Oh, yes. And then you could have done the call out with Fallout being like, (laughs) you know, a big burly man with a mustache as well. 
Oh, yeah. Recast Wheel, that's a pretty good one. Oh, yeah, I have another one for this. Uh, Charles Grodin as Kitridge. Ooh. How did you guys feel about Kitridge? I I liked Kitridge a lot, but it just, the whole thing felt very Charles Grodin to me by the end. The guy that played Kitridge. And I would have loved to see him in that role. Yeah. I think the guy that played Kitridge sent it in more than anyone else in the cast. And you can tell it in his line readings. Because everything he says ends in a long consonant. <laughs> I'm really trying I, to be evil. <laughs> I totally agree. And I I like it. But I can equally understand why somebody would watch Kittredge and be like, this fucking sucks. Well, um, see, I love it. I, I love it because of that. And because he's so cartoonishly like the antagonist yeah and then by the end of the movie uh ethan is on his side they are together and it closes with max trying to get with kitridge (laughs) just a perfect perfect way yeah and that's what made me feel like this is this all is charles grodin do you do you have a favorite line look at me like a real boy (laughs) Do you have a favorite line? Because I have a favorite Kittredge line. Oh, I couldn't tell. I you. I don't think I rem- I might have written one down, but I can't find it right now. See, I've I've seen this enough that I've got multiple possibly. Yeah. But um, there's a line where they talk about like you find something they care about and you squeeze. Like <laughs> that line reading is so is so ridiculous. Um, but for me, it really, really works. And I do think Kitridge and Tom Cruise are like competing for who can be bigger in mm-hmm. this movie. For yes. Sure. And sometimes you just want, like, you just want actors to just be hammy, but you want them to all be hammy, right? Like, you just, yeah. like, there's a certain element, Riley, to like Fast and Furious, where like they're just all being hammy and it fucking works because they're all being that way. If, oh, yeah. like, a couple of them were being serious, which is how I felt about Charlize Theron a little bit, was that she was maybe not being hammy enough, uh-huh. or because she was such a good actress, I was like, I don't believe you in a Fast and Furious movie. But um, that's an example of a movie that also knows exactly what it's doing, and everybody's doing the same level. Um, yeah. 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 For sure. Was there anything else that you? Those were the those were the two big ones. Those are the two. Okay, Tyler, how about you? Is there any other nitpicks for this one? Really, just the way the whole helicopter set piece at the end doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I was not a fan of the the uh, the age gap with Voight and his wife. Oh yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I like and then he the just way... like it's all part of the plan to whore my wife out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that part was weird. That, but that I think uh, it's fine. Love like... triangle and or like they were like Ethan and him were like mentors and good friends, and then all of a sudden his wife's trying to sleep with him, and he's like, "Should I do it? She's really hot." I, I don't know. John we Voight seems like a guy that'd be into that. <laughs> John Voight pretends to be dead every year so he can watch from the closet. John John Voight takes Tom Cruise around parties and goes, "Hey, this is the guy that fucks my wife, isn't he hot?" (laughs) (laughs) 
man. Um, Let's go ahead. Unless you have anything else, we can go ahead and move on to our next segments, which are going to be Standout, Letdown, and Dr. Jerry. Oh, no. Now it's the Gleason Close-Up Magic Award. (laughs) For best close-up magic scene. (laughs) (laughs) The criteria has not changed. Um, I think there's a lot of potential scenes that you could do for this one. Um, I think the potential obvious one is the heist, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. where you know it's the most iconic scene within the Mission Impossible. I would say almost franchise, but definitely like within this movie, him going down and it's all white and he's wearing the fucking Harry Potter glasses the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other there are other options that I think you could choose. Um, I really like where he smashes the gum together and puts it on the aquarium. Yeah, and then Tom Cruise li- sprints away. I like that whole that <laughs> whole conversation and yeah. I um I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna pick yet, but those are definitely two contenders. Yeah, I think there's there's two there's two for me. Um, one is the aquarium scene aquarium restaurant which seems cool as hell um (laughs) either that one or um when when john voight comes back and we Mm, have the ethan and john voight back and forth and ethan's you know you're playing it through ethan's mind that he's putting it all together and Okay, so we're each sharing one with each other because mine is the the heist and dropping down or when he's putting it together with uh, John Voight. And we're seeing all those flashes of him realize what's happening. One I've and, never... Because you're getting clued into it as the audience at the exact same time. And that was the only thing. I don't think it's confusing, but I know when I, I saw this as a kid, I was not sure if... Tom Cruise is realizing it in that moment or if we're supposed to think that Tom Cruise like thought that John Voight was was killed and there was a kittredge mole or whatever and we're seeing what really happened but then you find out later that, that he okay, did so know about it yes and I think that's what the scene does well because it's still the way Tom Cruise plays it off is still there's an element of you don't know if we're seeing it as the audience and seeing what actually happened or and if he is just like you know if he believes the false story or if he also is putting it together in the same moment i think that's really really effective yeah i do too and then i mean the heist scene is the heist scene yeah iconic yeah, an all-time iconic action thriller movie scene. Toast. <laughs> also, the guy in that scene, the agent, he so he was also an agent in Entrapment, which Ooh. another very famous laser movie. Dips beneath lasers. Ooh. Ooh. And also the narrator for the Teletubbies. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Remarkable find. <laughs> That's all I've got on that scene. Okay, scene, let down scene or scene that didn't work well. And I'm just going to get it out of here since I've talked about already is that helicopter set piece. Yeah, I think that's the winner. 
the the small runner up for me is um, when they show John when they show John Voight's um, camera and he's looking at the hand that's supposedly supposed to be shooting at him. Like the way that the hand is wrapped around the gun has always to me looked exactly like what it would look like if I was you know what I mean if John Voight <laughs> was holding the gun at himself. Like I don't know how else you would. Because you're, you're looking at it, and you can see it's like this. So you can see, like, the inside and the fingers curling around, and you can see the hand coming from, like, the other direction, which would never be how it would look like if the gun was pointed at you. And so that's mm-hmm. – that I can't tell if that detail is good because you look at it, and you're like, oh, that's bullshit. Or if you're like, that's stupid, we should or all they, be able to tell. Yeah, yeah. did they leave I couldn't it there tell, on purpose? Was he looking up at that point or no? So he looks he – looks, at the gun, which okay. is supposed to be somebody else, and then you see him look up while he's putting the blood on himself, and then he looks down to show the blood. So, like, they cut back and forth and stuff. So you're supposed to go from the gun to nothing to the blood, and mm-hmm. you never see the other person. Yeah. Well, but it's so like the very first clearly, time, yeah. The first time I watched that, like, when they all died and I didn't know that he was orchestrating all of this, I thought I was like, that was a really weird and bad scene. The way he goes over the edge, like all of it was so overacted. And then I felt like it made so much sense that contextually, like that overacting was on purpose within the context of the movie. So I, that didn't get me. Riley, what was the letdown for you? Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much, I'd pretty much say anything involving the train. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have the, the helicopter stuff, but then you also have you have Voight trying to be, you know, the mustache twirling villain in the back of the train, and obviously that that didn't land for me. So, yeah, pretty much the whole time on the train. Did you like Hunt pretending to be John Voight? In that the back was of good. The train? I did like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That and I, I really liked because you don't get clued into it that um, that uh, Kitridge and uh, Hunt are working together here until the actual reveal. Yeah, of when he gets him on camera with the glasses, and I really, really loved that. All right, so our uh, Gleason Close-Up Magic Award for the best performance uh, in a small role. Who did we want more of? And I think it's pretty easy. Oh, yeah, Emilio. It's Emilio Estevez. I hate to say it, but substitute Emilio with Simon Pegg, or other way around. I'd be fine with that. I don't know if you could now, but hindsight. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, I think it's... We never really talked about, but I'm pretty sure it was it was kind of like Scream, where I'm pretty yeah. sure they they advertised, like, this huge cast, and it was, like... It was very clear that, like, Tom Cruise was going to be, like, probably the main, but I'm pretty sure they build a lot of these other people as, like, fairly important in the movie, and then they all die mm-hmm. right away. It's a very ballsy move yeah. on De Palma's part, and I, I love it. And, well, and the writers and... Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I I did not catch who wrote this movie. Um, I can find out. 
This one was written by uh, David Kep and Robert Town. I'm going to okay. find out more about them. I don't know what else they've done. Yeah, so while you do oh. that, we can also... What else did they do? Uh, Jurassic Park. David oh, David shit. Kep did Jurassic Park, did Lost World, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But he also did Carlito's Way, the first Spider-Man. Oh. Um, and then some other like minor ones. That's a David Kep. Robert Town did... Oh, shit. He did Chinatown. Robin Polanski's Chinatown. Whoa. Fuck. Those are two fucking huge writers to write something like this. He also did Days of Thunder. Shit. Heaven Can Wait. There's our Charles Grodin. <laughs> he also wrote... He wrote The Godfather. Oh. Is uh, Godfather a book? Robert Town also wrote The Man from Uncle TV show. Whoa. Well, okay, so that's like the perfect guy to write Mission Impossible then. Right. Did you guys, obviously, we haven't really talked about it. This is just a, a trivia thing. Obviously, this movie and this series. Oh, whoa. Sorry, continue. <laughs> I feel like you're about to say a point that leads into what I just found. This movie and this series came from a TV show. So there was a Mission okay. Impossible TV show. And Robert Town was one of the writers. Okay. Okay. I, I wondered if that was, you know, his connection to this for sure. Mm -hmm. Damn, those are two fucking legends. Powerhouses. To have written this movie. No wonder it's so good. Yeah. And then they weren't involved in any of the other ones, I don't think. Uh, Town was involved in a few of them. Robert, okay, so Town was in, he did number two. Two and three. Okay. All right, so shall we move on to our draft for tonight? I think so. Let's do it. So tonight we are drafting first movies in a franchise. So we are going to do the random number generator today. Let's let's spread out the the range so it's not like one through ten. Yeah. Okay. One through one thousand. Uh, eight fifty. 850, Jeff. 201, Bob. And I am going to go with 666. It is 141, so we'll go Jeff, me, Riley. All right. All right. Um, okay. There are some obvious ones in here, um, which I think we'll probably talk about. But I think... One that is a very good standalone film and also spawned, I think, a pretty decent franchise. Nothing quite as good as the first one, but pretty good. Um, I'm going to go with Ocean's Eleven. I think is a great standalone movie on its Ooh. own. I think the franchise is pretty good in terms of, you know what I mean, Jeff uh, going with a heist movie. Oh, big <laughs> surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Ocean's really? Eleven. Yeah, you're really downplaying your oceans love uh yeah a little the little a little I like a picture pretty, I like a oceans good. 11 <laughs> <little> film <laughs> <laughs> all right i am going to go with the tim burton batman Ooh. from 89 okay 
I, I got to go. Because that gives us Michael Keaton as Batman, and I can guarantee you that Michael Keaton Batman does, <laughs> uh, and we can move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going Fast and Furious. Well, the I, Fast and the Furious. I considered taking it just to like just to do that yeah. to you. Um, my, yeah, I, I, there's nothing bad I can say about it, but... Um, I would also. Uh, I think number one is probably my second favorite, but behind Fast Five. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I think that's my easy number one pick. Gotcha. It's a good one. All right, Jeff, your number two pick. Um, let's see. I think I'm gonna go with. I mean, it's it's maybe a pretty obvious one, but I think it's just something that we all really love. I'm gonna go with Alien as the yeah, okay. starting to a great franchise. All right, I. Oh man, oh man, I don't know which route I want to go here, because I mean, we could do Star Wars, we could do so many things, we could do Lord of the Rings. But I am going to go with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, that's a good one. I thought about that a one pitch too. perfect summer action movie. It is. Riley, your second pick. Um, I'm going to go with the movie that started the MCU. I'm going with 2002 Spider-Man, starring Tobey <laughs> Maguire, <laughs> produced by Kevin Feige. Who is like, holy fuck, super, these superhero movies are cool. I better keep doing this. Um, <laughs> but that franchise, yeah, very, very high up there with The Fast and the Furious in this household. Oh, yeah. Jeff, your final pick. Oh, man. Uh, really hard um, to pick the, the next one. I think... I know. I think I have my clear pick and then if nobody steals my honorable mention i'll mention that one um but i think for me in terms of franchises that i love in terms of what's the best one in the franchise um i'm gonna go with scream i think the very first scream yeah that tracks for you is is becoming i i actually forgot it earlier i rewatched scream one and two this week because it's it's becoming one of those movies that's like a comfort movie for both me and Sarah, um, and a movie that we have just this year rewatched three times. Wow. So like, and I would love to listen back to our Scream episode and hear your thoughts on it then. Yeah, I we we should because I I mean I'm sure it's evolved since then because that was the first time I think I'd ever seen it. So um, definitely, ex- I mean, I'm excited for number five. Um, I was a big fan of basically the whole franchise. I think one and two are great. Two isn't as good as I remembered. Three kind of stinks. Four I thought was really good. And then I'm interested to see what five is. Mm-hmm. It's, was was Craven attached for four? I always forget. Yeah, he did four. It's So five will be our first, I believe, because was he attached to two and three? I I know he did two. I am not 
It says he did all four. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, five is going to be our first scream without Craven still living. And that's, like, I'm just so interested to see what that does to the spirit of the movie. But I also feel like if you're choosing to bring back a new scream movie, you are someone who gets and respects the spirit of that movie. I hope so. I, I mean, I really... Mm-hmm. I really think they it's a great franchise. So anyways. Alright, boys, for my final pick. How fast and loose are we playing with the uh with the word franchise here? I don't know. Just say How many entries does something have to have? I think it has to have at least it can't just have a three. sequel. I think three. It has to have the, at least three. Yeah. Okay. So what if something has the initial movie, another movie another movie so three movies possibly a fourth and a tv series <laughs> that's it... right folks i'm going with michael mann's manhunter oh man that was <laughs> technically not I you were going the start all. of a franchise <laughs> no but for real i am going to go with uh because even if that doesn't count I have to go with the obvious answer. I'm going with Jaws. Yeah, oh, so you're admitting the se- so you're admitting to the sequels. <laughs> and their I existence. will own the sequels. I will own the sequels if it allows me to pick Jaws for this category. <laughs> because Jaws, as we all know, is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, I don't think the sequels have to be good. Like you could have done you and I mean like a nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. even though all the sequels suck. Easy, easy there. Most of the sequels suck. Yeah, okay, yes. What's your favorite? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I could have gone with Halloween. That's (laughs) what I was expecting you to throw out there, but... um... I just... It's so hard to not pick Jaws here. Yeah. And, I mean, I think we could talk forever about how many first franchise movies are the best. And then everything else becomes a cash grab on something that was an originally fantastic, incredible piece of film. Uh, Riley, what's your last pick? I was going to go with something, but then I decided for... Let me find the year. Give me a second here. I all right. I am going to go with 1954's Godzilla. Oh, to kick off the franchise. That makes sense. Oh man, and all of the entries. Um, Great pick. Uh, shout out to our friends at Nightmare Junkhead who started off Kaijun oh, with Godzilla yeah. uh, and then went into Pacific Rim last Friday. And then tomorrow we are getting, uh, I forget what we are getting tomorrow, uh, but they are diving heavy into Kaiju movies through the month of June. And you should give those episodes Absolutely. a listen. Nice. Uh, my honorable mention, and the, the I just want to say it because I just picked godzilla just now i was going to go back to the future yeah i mean we could say lord of the rings Mm -hmm. we can say new hope so many of these are good we should have done it where it's the best movie in the franchise 
That would have been a very interesting draft. Interesting. Actually, a lot of our answers, I think, probably could have stayed yeah, the same. I don't, I don't know that I would have changed much. My yeah. my honorable mentions were... Um, <clears throat> I actually had a couple, but I'll stick with two. My honorable mentions were the first Terminator, Ooh, um, yeah, which I think people overlook as a good movie in its own right. Mm-hmm. I know it is. It's just it's so hard to recognize it when you put it up against the masterpiece that is T two. Right, and then my my other pick uh, is one that I think kind of people don't necessarily think of in a franchise, but uh, Father of the Bride. Oh. Ooh. Was there a third? Okay. I uh, thought so. <laughs> Jeff is picking one of two movies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's. Hold on. I'm the pretty Santa sure there's Claus. a. Oh, I'm God, pretty they're sure doing a, a 30 for one. 30 on Space Jam 2. Are they fucking. Or is this just a commercial? No, that's for a bit. Space Jam 2. That's a okay. bit. I don't know okay. why ESPN is I don't have audio so, on, Jeff, so I wasn't sure. Father yeah. of the Bride. Is it two and a half sequels? Um, they came together and did a mini, like, Zoom reunion type of movie where they were, they basically, the cast did a Zoom call in character in 2020. Oh. Okay. All right. um, they're calling it Father of the Bride Part 3 ish got it um i did end i think i actually watched that uh it was pretty good you know it was fun to see everyone but i I probably Mm -hmm. not a critically good obviously but it was fun well then i don't know that this that really qualifies although i heard there's going to be a reboot hmm interesting so all right let's go ahead let's as much as I would love to continue like litigating the Father of the Bride franchise, let's give this one some ratings and get out of here. Uh, we'll go same order as we did for the draft, so Jeff, me, Riley. Jeff, start us off. Ten. That's what I figured. This movie is, is a perfect movie for me. No notes. <laughs> That's fair. Mine's a nine just because of how the... Uh, the big studio action set piece really just kind of drags that end climax down for me. Understandable. And it was an eight for me. I'm surprised, Riley, that you're actually the lowest score on this. I don't know why I thought you'd be higher. I, well, I I am pretty generous with scores. I hate to score I, movies I, low, so... I do think that I feel like just from style for style's sake i do think that's a little bit more my speed than riley's a lot of the time that's fair because i mean that's why you know i gave manhunter a perfect 10 (laughs) that's true Um, imagine if we had gotten michael mann's mission impossible 2 just make it an anthology at this point and just let famous directors come in and do their take on mission impossible I would love that. Oh my god! Can you imagine, that's what it should. That's what it all should have been. Late, late period. Tom Cruise erotic thriller. <laughs> <laughs> David Lynch directs Mission Impossible. <laughs> oh man! All right. all right. Well, this Jeff, thank you so much for picking this movie for finally getting me on to my New Year's resolution to start watching the rest of the Mission Impossible franchise. 
This was an excellent episode and another episode of Who the Hell is This For? Thank you for listening.